All right, welcome back to the uh, second part of our program. This is the forum uh, for candidates for mayor. We have uh, Nadine Woodward and Ben Stuckert. Now, to review our, our forum, but first off, uh, if anybody has problems hearing, please move up, or uh, we'll ask the candidates to please speak a little louder, but uh, nonetheless, if you had any, any problems hearing, please move forward. To review our format, each candidate for mayor will have three minutes to introduce themselves, and they will also provide during that time an opening statement. Each candidate for mayor will be asked the same five questions by the moderators, and the candidates will have one minute to answer. Candidates will be given two cards that they can use to make rebuttals. Two cards for rebuttals. And they will only have 30 seconds for these rebuttals. Todd Miller is our timekeeper. He'll have a yellow card that will be raised when the candidates have 30 seconds left, and a red card to raise when their time is up. No whistle, okay. For audience members who have questions, you have until 11.40 a.m. to submit your questions at the questions table, which is over there on that wall. We want to begin by reviewing the role of the mayor. The city of Spokane has what is known as a strong mayor form of government. The mayor is directly elected by the citizens to that position. In Spokane, the mayor has executive power. The mayor directs the administrative structure, appointing and removing of department heads. While the city council has legislative power, the mayor has veto power. Thank you, Larry. We will welcome Ben Stucker and Nadine Woodward to our candidate forum. Thank you for being here. Each candidate has three minutes to introduce themselves and respond to the following question. The first one will be Nadine. The question is, name your specific, I can never say that word, sorry, involvement with Spokane's communities of color beyond going to cultural events. What kinds of specific support do you provide? Thank you, and thank you all for being here for this forum this morning. Um, I um, moved to Spokane 29 years ago with my husband for jobs in broadcast journalism and we decided that this was going to be the place where we stayed, build our lives, uh, raise our two children, and it is where we own a business downtown. Um, I don't come from a place of political experience when it comes to politics. I've never thought political experience was the best experience, but I do come from a place of being immersed in Spokane issues for 28 years and in a position of public trust. Um, this was my first neighborhood, East Central Community, uh, was uh, where we first bought our home, and we loved the rich diversity of having neighbors who were Russian or African American or Asian. Uh, my parents, as, we, as our family grew, though, we had to move to a bigger home, and um, my parents now own our home and have lived in East Central for 20 years. As a journalist, it has been a privilege to cover um, all members of our community. And uh, I've covered stories with uh, the Reverend Happy Watkins and with the Maxey family on a number of occasions. Um, I've been very involved in the faith community and in doing so have been involved in our diverse communities and churches as well. Uh, one of the highlights was a huge event that we did many years ago that involved more than 100 churches and I got to work very closely with 
Lonnie Mitchell and Bethel AME, and, and that was a wonderful experience bringing people together from different diverse communities and also um, denominations as well. As a candidate, um, I've continued to reach out, engage, and learn more about my community, um, working with uh, Michael Brown from Fresh Soul and finding out more about their incredible training program for youth, and I think uh, we can do more of that. And um, also reaching out with uh, Martin Luther King a junior Outreach Center here, and meeting with uh, Frida Gandhi and Daniel Morales, and finding out that this community center is a model for how other community centers really should operate. And learning that just last year, they served 5,000 families in Spokane, and this year alone we'll give out more than 450,000 pounds of food, not just to East Central, but throughout the city of Spokane. And I think that's what's important, is that we're all in this together, that I will be a mayor who represents everybody and reaches out to engage in all communities to find out what they're doing and what the needs are and to represent everyone in Spokane and what's best for our city. Thank you, Nadine. Next is Ben. So thank you so much for hosting both the East Central Community Center and to the organizations that make up the Coalition of Color. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. So I'm going to get really specific um, because I do have experience and I think that if I were interviewing for a job and I said I didn't have any experience with oil and I was running to be the CEO of an oil company, I don't think that would really fly. The mayor is the CEO of the city. So over the last eight years, start by talking about the Racial Equity Subcommittee of the Law and Justice Council. The Law and Justice Council oversees the criminal justice system and has about 23 different board members. And when I got appointed to that board, nobody wanted to talk about racial equity. So it took two years, but we formed the Red Subcommittee, which is actually making great progress. I chaired that committee for two years. Um, when Ed Burns in his study on racial inequities in the Spokane Police Department stalled and the administration in the police department wouldn't finish the funding, I led the way on council to actually finish that report up. Um, we've started a program at the city for culture grants for uh, cultural events in our community at $50,000 a year, which support multicultural, multi-ethnic um, events all throughout our city. Um, last year, we put $300,000 into culture centers in our community, and that funded $100,000 toward the purchase of the Carl Maxey Building, $100,000 for the Native Project, and $100,000 for the Southside Senior Center to hold multicultural events at their center. I'm one of the only elected officials that championed the Spokane Tribes Casino Project on the West Plains. During that time, we invited the, to the table the Spokane Tribe to talk about the river, and we now have interpretive signage going in for our Spokane Tribe. I sponsored and led Changing Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day in Spokane. And I led the effort along with the NAACP, ACLU, and others in the Latino community to pass the law that requires Border Patrol to actually get city permission to enter the Greyhound buses, which the current administration is ignoring. But there is discrimination going on, and they are targeting people of color. Those are my specific items that I've done in the last eight years, and I look forward to talking about what we can do in the future together. Thank you, and I'm going to stand because I'm short and I can't see very well. So, um, so the moderators are going to take turns asking five predetermined questions. 
Each candidate, each one of you, has one minute to answer each question. You will have received the two cards, and you can use those to make rebuttals, and your rebuttals cannot go over 30 seconds. As a reminder, Todd, our wonderful timekeeper, will raise a yellow card when you have 30 seconds left, and a red card when your time is up. For the rebuttals, Todd will raise the red card when the 30-second time is up. And since we started with Nadine, the next question, we're going to start with Ben. Our first question is, how will you address structural racism in Spokane city government? The first thing on day one, we would create an office of civil rights and equity. And we can do that under the current staffing levels we have now. The administration has a person that makes $150,000 a year in his office that leads up the multicultural events, but it doesn't, it's not a cabinet level position. We can put two people in that position for the price of $150,000 and actually have an office. That office would be in charge of making sure at a cabinet level that any decisions that are made in the city are actually looked at through an equity lens. So that's the first thing we can do. The second thing we do is, is the cabinet in a city needs to look like the city that you want. The leadership of the city and the departments need to be what we want our city to be, not what it is now. If I were just to go out, I've grown up in Spokane, and you go to these meetings, and there's just white males in every single meeting, and you'd pick out. So you have to be very deliberate about how you choose leadership so that it's reflective of what we want as a community and the diversity that we should have. Well, as mayor, I, I really think it's important to foster an environment in our city government um, that is welcoming and that is also very, very inclusive. And, you know, I have watched Spokane grow in the last 30 years uh, into a very vibrant city um, and um, will hopefully reverse any perception of racism in our city government, but provide opportunities for all people and hire the most qualified and best person uh, to represent and, and work in City Hall. I think that's extremely important. Thank you. So back to Ben. Would you recommend the establishment of an Office of Civil Rights for the City of Spokane? Why or why not? Yes, because it needs to be a cabinet level position when you're actually making decisions. And that's actually one of the platforms I've been running on since I announced for mayor is having that office open on day one. You know, I would look at that. Right now, that's not something that is one of my priorities, but um, I think everyone deserves equal rights, no matter what background you have, no matter what ethnicity you're from. I think it's important that we treat everyone equally. We are in this together. I will do, as mayor, the best job I can to represent everyone and not put barriers and walls up between different groups of people in our community. I want what's best for every single member of our city, every resident, every taxpayer, and I will represent the best of Spokane. I will do what is best for Spokane for all of our community members. Thank you. So question number three, and we'll go back to you again, Nadine. We'll have you start. So in upcoming negotiations with the police guild, your office will need to decide the ongoing issue of police oversight. Would you support 
giving the ombudsman position independent oversight of the city police? Why or why not? Well, I support the ombudsman. I, um, I support the, the commission of the ombudsman as well. The voters obviously do. They overwhelmingly uh, passed that several years ago. And, uh, but I do believe that the oversight, um, I, I believe if someone has a complaint against the police, uh, um, any situation that they have the right to make that complaint and not um, have retribution against them, they need to be represented. But I do believe that the ombudsman needs to have limited authority. That authority is written in our charter. I think that is extremely important. Um, moving forward, I would also say I wish there were term limits within the ombudsman's position. It's every three years, the contract is negotiated. I would say I want a new fresh face and fresh perspective in that position every single time that contract comes up so that we don't uh, develop or, or create another layer of bureaucracy within City Hall. That would be my position. So there are a couple holes in the Ombudsman Ordinance right now as it's written, and this started in 2009 when the entire contract was put into the Guild contract. So the ordinance, which is in the city charter, can't be changed without negotiations. Most of it does not affect discipline, so it shouldn't be in the contract. So I support completely stripping the ombudsman ordinance out of the guild contract and only negotiating those issues which impact discipline. But the second thing is the ombudsman can't um, right now publish closing reports, and that's really important that on all of the cases that those closing reports are published. I also believe that independent investigation as defined in the charter is much different and convoluted in the ordinance itself and the ombudsman should have independent investigation. Uh, for this next question we're going to start with Ben again and then we'll go to Nadine. What is your plan for recruiting and developing a diverse cabinet? I think, I think you need to be deliberate about what it looks like. Um, when Prime Minister Trudeau in Canada came out with his cabinet, it was very apparent he had been deliberate in forming those who are in positions of power. So it has to be a deliberate process when you're choosing leadership if you want it to be diverse like the community you want. Just a quick story, Lutheran USA was in town to see if they'd have a 25,000 person conference in Spokane and they brought me in on the last day to discuss walking around town, they hadn't seen the diversity that they see in their membership. 12,000 out of those 25,000 people coming to Spokane would have been people of color, and they were very concerned. And so it starts at the top with leadership and diversity, gender and racial diversity in your cabinet so that it's reflected out, and then using civil service to actually do specific recruiting so that the workforce of the city is reflective of the city we want as well. Well, and that's going to be the very first thing that the new mayor will have to do, and that is to uh, hire cabinet. And there are several positions that are going to be open in this uh, next term in 2020. Um, when I think about who I want on my cabinet, I want the best person. I want to reach out to the different communities, uh, diverse communities in, in, in the city of Spokane, and I want to help recruit some of the best people. I want, I want it to be open to everyone. No matter what your background is, I just want the most qualified person, and I think that's what the city of Spokane wants as well. Okay, this question is going to be for Nadine first again. So the question is, 
Regarding climate crisis, Mayor Condon orchestrated an ordinance, an ordinance for the city to commit to 100% clean electricity under a time frame. As mayor, would you support that ordinance? Why or why not? You're talking about the 100% uh, sustainable ordinance that would uh, require us to become that way by 2030. Um, I am not a proponent of that ordinance. I am, uh, I am for ordinances and measures that are realistic. I think this is completely unrealistic. Uh, a study came out while that ordinance was being decided or, or discussed and found that it would cost thousands of dollars for each household every single year in order to be, see, in order to be 100% sustainable. How is uh, the young mother in Hilliard, single mom working paycheck to paycheck, going to pay for thousands of dollars or more to have their home 100% sustainable? How are some of our impoverished families uh, in this community going to be able to afford thousands of dollars more to heat their home? All, will our elderly have to choose between prescription medications and heating their homes? Will that Hilliard mom have to decide between putting food on her table and heating her home? Unrealistic. There are things that we can do as a city, and we are doing as a city. But that one, uh, I, I am not a, a proponent of. I'd love it if we could go back to that first chart that says what the role of the mayor is. And the role of the mayor is not to be a court officer. It's actually in the city charter, section J, that the mayor's job is to enforce the law. That's a J under the duties of the mayor. The mayor doesn't get to choose which laws we ignore and which we don't. If the policymakers pass a law, it's up to the mayor's office to actually enforce it. We have several laws that the current mayor, including the intermodal center where discrimination is going on, is not enforcing, and the mayor does not get to choose to enforce or not enforce laws. That law is on the books, and those numbers came from a VISTA, the thousands of dollars, and actually they were at the table, and we negotiated changes in it, and they came down and supported the ordinance on the night we passed it. So the law is the law, and I would not elect somebody to lead my city if they're up here talking about not following current laws on the books. That's the problem we have now at the national level, and we can't have that at a local level. I think you would want a mayor that represents all of the people who are looking out for the best and what they can afford and what is reasonable, what is realistic, and if you have a mayor that is just passing unrealistic ordinances that put a huge burden on our taxpayers, our hard-working taxpayers, we need to rethink that too as well. We don't elect a CEO that has a policy-making city council to make those choices. The city council are the policymakers under the strong mayor form of government. A law is a law. We, we cannot be electing the CEO to run the organization and administer it who is going to disregard the law. And as I said, those numbers are not true. And Avista came down and testified in favor of the ordinance. And that's where those numbers came from. Because through partnership and collaboration, we worked on language in the ordinance. So those numbers just aren't true. Thank you for that. And so now we have uh, questions from the audience. And the first question that I have here is, please discuss your understanding of the representation of people of color in city contracting. What is the representation of minorities? What, if anything, needs to be done? 
and we will go with Ben first on this. So under contracts at the city, um, we're a low bid state, so if it's just a low bid, it has to go to the low bid. Um, but at the airport, we've had great success with contracts, and especially with state money, when the airport uses state money, and working with small minority-owned businesses and making them a priority to give contracts to. We can do that through project labor agreements at the city level. So if we do a design-build project or another alternative method of contracting, not a low bid, we can then set those standards and actually set percentages of what contracts we'll give so that we're proactive and not reactive with the low bids. I actually agree with Ben on this one. I think some of those smaller contracts as a city, we need to go out and engage with those minority companies and find out and encourage them more to be active in the bidding process. I don't think they are at this point, but I think we can do a much better job of that. So I would think we actually found something we can agree on. Thank you. So our next question, we'll start with Nadine and then Ben. What will you do to address gentrification that disproportionately displaces communities of color in Spokane? Well, are you talking in our neighborhoods and things like that? I, I know that housing is a huge issue um, in Spokane right now. In fact, we are facing a housing crisis. And um, we just need to build more. And I received the endorsement of the Realtors Association and our home builders because they know that they can trust me to work with me to be flexible and creative in building more homes. And we need homes of all economic levels. We have people who are stuck in apartments that should be buying homes and achieving the American dream of owning a home, but they're not. And rents are going up, and that is keeping people from moving forward. And that's something that we need to work on. I'm also all for, as opposed to Ben has said, in uh, going out doorbelling that I am against uh, historic preservation designation in neighborhoods. That is an absolute lie. If you want to protect the character of your neighborhood, by all means, go ahead and do that. But I think we need to be building more. I'm looking forward to working with the associations that will get that done. And we need homes of all income levels so that everyone can have a home and a roof over their head. We got it? Okay. Oh, that's a great mic. So we, we have a housing crisis, but I, I think the question specifically was how do we balance growth with gentrification and moving people out of their neighborhoods? So on Sprague Avenue, I led the project in between Hamilton and Altamont that renovated that area, and we put $18 million from 22 different sources into revitalizing that area, and we've seen crime decrease. But one of the things we deliberately up front said was that we will ensure that this is a mixed income neighborhood, even as we improve the infrastructure and median household incomes rise and property values rise. We went to the CHHS board, the Community Housing and Human Services board, and said, would you prioritize affordable housing on Sprague? And so there's now two projects there that are guaranteed to be affordable housing for the next 40 years. So it guarantees as you revitalize the neighborhood, you guarantee it's mixed income. We should have mixed income neighborhoods all over our city so that you're not segregating it out and you're not just building big expensive homes in one area and then you 
uh, have poverty in other areas, and I, I'm done with this mic. Yes. You timed, Sorry. you timed me out anyway, right? You said my time was done. <laughs> Sorry about that. I thought it was going to be more helpful, but no. <laughs> so the next question from the audience will start with Ben. How will you implement policies that will reduce city gun violence and homicide? I think that's a tough one because state law is absolutely restrictive on what cities can do. So I think we need to speak out. But I... How many people have died of vaping in Washington State? Two in the last year, and it's an absolute emergency, and the governor's just banned vaping. If we had the number of children, and my wife's a counselor, and she, she had a young person come to her last week that the main worry and source of stress were the, um, in our schools, the... Um, finding out what to do if gun violence happens. That didn't happen when I was in school. We didn't have to deal with that. Leaders need to speak up and demand that at the state level they either give the cities the right to take action or they need to take action at the state and the federal level. But right now, if you have actual kids that are suffering trauma because of gun violence, we're, we're ruining a whole generation right now, and it's absolutely deplorable. Yeah, this really is a state and a federal issue, but I think as a community what we can do when it comes to gun violence, and as I was hearing in the forum before this one on suicide and violence, gun violence, um, we just need better education. We need better education in our schools. We need better, ed better education in our communities about um, guns, and um, our children need to be protected in our schools. But I just think we need a better conversation. We need better awareness of uh, when a child sees a gun, say at a park or, or whatever, what, what the protocol should be, what they should do. We just need to have that conversation. Thank you. Our next question is, and we'll start with Nadine and then Ben. How would you vote on putting caps on rentals in Spokane? Um, rental control is what you're talking about, and I know the tenants' union is, is, is talking about that as well because rents have increasingly uh, risen and is now uh, unachievable for a lot of people. Um, I, you know, I've, t I've talked to a lot of, of our landlords, and um, we have a lot of landlords in this community who own their buildings. They don't have a mortgage over their head, and they are the ones who have the flexibility of providing rent at a lower market value to people who are struggling, who are in transition, who need help. And I think if we mandate rent prices that um, we will lose a lot of those renters and we need those renters. The more mandates, fees, and regulations that we put on, especially our renters um, who are doing the best that they can to help those, we're, we're going to eliminate them from the market altogether. So um, I would be against that. So rent control is actually not allowed um, in the state of Washington, but here are the rental protections that we should put in place immediately. We should double the amount of time and notice that somebody gets if they have to move out of their apartment. We should set up a rental relocation fund. The money is actually $250,000 has been set aside for a pilot relocation fund. The administration just has not moved forward with implementing that, and we can do that on day one. 
we also should enforce the law that's on the books that says landlords actually should have a business license, which then we know where they are. And those business licenses, that revenue from the business license that's on the books right now, just not being enforced, could actually pay for an inspection so that if you have landlords like we do over in the Logan neighborhood, um, there's one I just went to the other day and absolutely deplorable conditions that people are living in, but there's nobody coming in and saying you have to clean that up and provide a decent place for somebody to live. And then we can also use that revenue to set up a risk pool. We can ban the housing box so that people that are formerly incarcerated can actually find housing in our community. Thank you. Um, it's obvious th that rent and housing is a big issue in our, in our area right now and reflects the questions that are being asked. So someone in the audience is asking, everyone in Spokane appears to agree we need more affordable housing in Spokane. How will you include permanent affordable housing in your plan? Permanent affordable housing in your plan. Ben, I'm going to go with you first. So. What we have is, if we look at 1992, the city of Spokane in home dollars, which are one of our largest sources of money for low-income housing being built, we got $1.5 million in 1992. In 2018, we received $1.3 million. If you took that $1.5 million and applied uh, inflation to the cost of it, we should be putting out about $4.5 million from just that one bucket. We've fallen completely behind. We haven't built a single unit for our aging population. Right now, council is moving forward with the county to put about $15 million into affordable housing from House Bill 1406, which the legislature passed. They also doubled the housing trust fund. But we are going to have to find a local source of funds in order to supplement what has been decreased at both the federal and the state level. 26 cities in the state of Washington have housing trust funds that they've set up we can do the exact same thing here in Spokane. Well, when we're talking about low-income housing, I know a lot of people think of subsidized housing or free housing. What I want to talk about is creating more economic opportunities for people so that they don't have to just rely on subsidized housing. I want our people to have better opportunities to make more money. I, I want them to be able to afford to purchase a home within their means. And nobody's talking about creating better econo economic opportunities for our people. We have, the, we have the poorest legislative district in our state. Some of the poorest zip codes reside in the city of Spokane. Let's talk about creating more opportunities. Instead of keeping people at the status quo, let's make a better life for them. Let's get better paying jobs. Let's get that vocational training for them. Let's help them improve their lives so they're not stuck in low or subsidized housing that they can actually purchase something and, um, and achieve, as I've said before, the American dream of owning a home. Okay, Ben has a rebuttal. Even in the most successful societies that have 2% unemployment, about 15 to 20% of that housing has to be subsidized or people end up on the streets. We had 800 people in 2018 that have done everything right and have housing vouchers and qualify for it and are working, but they're the working poor that we're missing. If you're working and raising a family on minimum wage job, you need those housing subsidies and that low-income housing. Absolutely impossible to get away from no matter how good your economy is doing. Thank you. The next question from the audience is, will you be enforcing the ordinance to keep Border Patrol out of the intramodal center when they are detaining people by racially profiling? Nadine? Um, 
that is something outside of our jurisdiction as a city. That is a federal law that is dictated that those searches are conducted within 100 miles of a border. We are a border city. Uh, are we going to pin, put our local police up against border patrol agents um, in enforcing the city's law? I believe in laws that protect our community and that is something, if, you, if, if we want to take up this issue, that needs to be with Congress. We should be talking with our Congresswoman, Kathy McMorris-Rogers. This is not a municipal issue. The mayor is not elected to be a court or a decider on what's legal or not legal. That's not the role of the CEO. It's the law of the city of Spokane. In the Supreme Court case in 1973, Alameda versus Sanchez says that Border Patrol cannot search if it doesn't originate or finish at a border. The buses that are being searched are coming from the Tri-Cities and they're going to Montana. The Alameda case is precedent. It is the law of the land and this could easily be decided by an injunction by the mayor on the first day. People are being pulled off the buses and those are people of color that are being discriminated against in our community. When laws are passed, we have to enforce them or take them to court, but this could easily be solved and resolved by the right mayor. I completely disagree. There's a supremacy clause in the U.S. Constitution. This is a federal issue. The city of Spokane should not be dealing with federal issues. It should be relying and concentrating on what it can do as a city, what's best for the citizens within the city, not De, uh, trying to be involved in federal issues. Like I said, let's go to Congress if we want to change this. This is not something the city of Spokane has jurisdiction over. Thank you. We'll go to our next question. Do you, uh, we'll start with Ben and then Nadine. Do you support building a new jail? Why or why not? So I took a tour of the current jail um, about a month ago and those conditions are deplorable. I think the question is, is we shouldn't build some new jail to hold 1,200 people because we, between Geiger and the current jail, we have about 960 people. We should first be looking at the 130 federal prisoners that the county contracts out with every day. We could decrease the population immediately and not contract out with the feds and hold those 130 people. Our misdemeanants shouldn't be in the county jail. We have about 50 on average every day that are there for either failure to appear or on pretrial. We could have them out on ankle monitors in our community. I've been fighting for that for the last seven years in our city budget is some better supervision instead of putting them in jail on pretrial. And those municipal services should be, the misdemeanors from the city of Spokane should be in programs to keep them and keep recidivism down, like the community court, which we've seen, has a higher rate of success than just throwing somebody in the jail. We do need a new facility at some point, but it should be much smaller than what our current population is, and we can do that together. There certainly is a lot of talk about a new county jail. I hear it everywhere I go. And if we want our law enforcement to start enforcing our laws, we right now have no place to put people who are breaking our laws. So I would like to have that conversation. The numbers would have to pan out. Uh, obviously, that would be a county vote. You'd have a half a million people voting for that as opposed to just within the city, 200,000 people. But in order for me to support a new jail, 
I believe it ha absolutely has to have criminal justice reforms. It needs treatment programs in that jail. It needs job skills training in that jail. So we are rehabilitating those who are incarcerated because that's where we are as a society so that when they are released, that they can support themselves. And let's face it, when we talk about homeless, we talk about those who are breaking our laws, a majority of them are addicted. We need to get them help so that when they are released from prison, that they can find a job, that they can support themselves, and that they don't have to rely on crime to support their habit. Thank you to our audience members for those amazing questions. I know we still have a few left, but we, we ran out of time. So now I'm going to offer both of you two minutes to make your closing statements, and we're going to start with Ben. So thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh-oh. God, I'm probably going to scream into it. Um, I appreciate your time today. As we reviewed at the beginning, the mayor acts as the CEO and the administrator, does not get to choose which laws. That's how we get lawlessness, is when the city charter says the duties of the mayor, Section J, are to enforce and administer the city laws. The mayor is not elected to pick and choose which laws we enforce or not. That's not the role of the mayor. That's not the role of the administrator. I'm the only one with any management experience. I manage multi-million dollar businesses, a million dollar nonprofit that I started from scratch. I've been in city government for the last seven and a half years and have a track record of success. I've partnered with this community for the last seven and a half years and before that when I was in the nonprofit world. I look forward to partnering with you and ask for your vote in the future. If you have any more questions, my email address is benstuckert at gmail.com and it'd be free to answer any questions you have. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, unfortunately, our city council has kind of been involved in overreach when it passes laws that really have nothing to do with what the city of Spokane should be doing. As your next mayor, I will stick with city issues. I will deal with policy that is best for all in the city of Spokane. I have run a very nonpartisan race as opposed to my opponent who has run a very partisan race. I, when I retired from television after 28 years in, in February and decided to run for office, people didn't know if I had an R, an I, or a D by my name. And that's because I did my job professionally. I did the news in an unbiased, fair, and impartial way. And that's how I will be as Spokane's next mayor. Ben has said he's got all the management experience, but when he ran for mayor first, then ran for Congress, he said, I'm a better legislator than I am executor. Then he got out of that race and ran for mayor again. I am only running for one office, and that is mayor for the city of Spokane, the city that I absolutely love, and I will represent everyone. Again, I don't come from a place of politics. I think we need new fresh faces. I think we need fresh perspective. I think people are tired of the status quo in dealing with a number of our challenges that we face today. Homelessness, crime, infrastructure, economic development, all of those things. I will be the mayor that represents everyone, not partisan politics, special interests. I hope I help you vote November 5th. Thank you very much. I would like to offer a heartfelt thank you to Nadine Woodward, Ben Stuckert, our two candidates for mayor. And I'd also like to thank uh, our moderators. We have uh, Sharon Randall over on the far side representing the NAACP Spokane chapter. In the middle, Nagmana Shirazi from the Asian Pacific Islander Coalition of Spokane. 
And over on this side, we have Fernanda Mascot from the Hispanic Business Professional Association. Now, we also had a, a lot of volunteers that worked to put on this forum today. And if you're a volunteer, if you could please stand up so we can acknowledge you. Thank, thank you very much. So thank you all of you for showing up and taking uh, an active part in today's forums. We had the, uh, the six candidates for the Spokane uh, School District, the school board, and uh, the two candidates for the mayor's race. So thank you very much. Now we're going to have one more forum next week, Saturday, October 5th. Again, it'll start at 10 o'clock. And this will be a forum for the city council president and also for the city council candidates. So we hope that you'll come back and join us next Saturday right here at 10 o'clock. And uh, again, don't forget to vote. It's very important. If you're not registered, we have voting regist or voter registration cards over here at that table by the door. And if you have water bottles, please recycle. We've got a spot over here for recycling those. And so this concludes our candidate forum, and I just want to say thank you very much for coming. <laughs>